0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.
1: Did a UFO target a nuclear weapon storage area in northern Maine in 1975? Were outdoorsmen really abducted by aliens in the Allagash country a year later? Why does the Pine Tree State seem to be a hotbed of UFO activity?
2: Hello and welcome to the 780th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM and this is our 11th year on the air and today coincidentally is our 10th anniversary of being with WOON.
1: That's right and so before we introduce our guest, uh, we wanted to mention that this show marks our 10th anniversary on WOON radio. We started out the previous year on a Phoenix-based station, and our first show here on February twenty first, 2009, was our first move out into the wider broadcast world. The following November, we started with CBS Radio in Four Cities, but WOON has always been our true broadcast home. And from the bottom of our hearts, we thank station manager Dave Richards for his amazing support. Encouragement and a friendship over the years, particularly for his, uh, his mentoring of Ben mm. and for supporting, uh, always encouraging us in our goofy ideas uh, with panel shows and on-location broadcasts and all kinds of zany stuff. And Dave is making a cameo on the show today, and we're very happy to have him.
0: I finally made it. Yes. After all these years. After all these years, <laughs> <laughs> I'm finally on ever. Paranormal. Uh, well, guys, uh, you were very kind in your, uh, in your thoughts and uh, words uh, for the radio station and for uh, my work here but it is I who am grateful to you two for your dedication to the seriousness of the uh, subject matter. There are, and I'm sure everyone knows, quite a number of programs that uh, say that they uh, deal with this uh, sort of subject matter, and there have been for many, many decades. Paul and I both know the ones we grew up with, listening to them, and we are all called loonies for listening, <laughs> and they were called worse for being them, uh, but the, the reason... Behind the Paranormal is on my station is the seriousness you bring to the subject and the level-headedness that you bring in and the integrity you bring to the subject. That's the key word, friends. I want you to know that uh, having worked with these guys alongside them and uh, watching them and behind them for so many years, that uh, Paul and Ben Eno are the only two I would allow with this subject on the air because of their integrity, because it is a scholastic endeavor to them, and they are not here just to make some money.
1: Well, Dave, wow. I thank you so much. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. You're, you keep talking like that the whole show. Too. That's
0: all I had to say.
1: Okay, well, we really appreciate it. I yeah. just
0: want to make sure that was said because there's a lot of shows out there.
1: Yeah, there are. Yeah, it's there too are. many sometimes. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. Well, thank, thank you, you we very did.
0: much for keeping steadfast to your uh, your values from the beginning uh, all the way through and for 10 years bringing honor to the subject and to our station.
1: Well, thank you well, so much, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having us, Dave. Looking forward to the next 10 years. Indeed. Okay, very good. All right. So now to business uh, here. Nomar Slovak is a professionally published author and po- podcaster living in Bangor, Maine. His first book, UFOs Over Maine, was released in 2014 through Schiffer Publishing. It was our publisher, too. His latest book, Otherworldly Encounters, was released in July 2018 through Llewellyn Worldwide Publishing. He wrote and produced the documentary, Abducted New England, which was directed by Bill Brock. It is currently available on Amazon Prime and V-I-D-I Space. How do you pronounce it? Am I saying that right, Ben? Vidi,
2: Vidi? Space
3: video space Vidi space okay
1: yeah. and no more there are many uh, websites uh, which one would you like to mention first
3: uh, well I guess uh, just Facebook is fine
2: <laughs> okay good fair enough so let's take it away, Zeno Marslovic. Welcome to Behind the
3: Paranormal. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's uh, it's been a long time coming, in my opinion, and more importantly, congratulations on you ten years. That's amazing. Oh well, thank you. Much
2: thank appreciated. you very much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coincidentally, you happen to be on our show for the first time, and uh, <laughs> here <laughs> we are.
3: Yep. Are you sure you guys want to do this? Do you want to call? someone else <laughs> so important no it's <laughs> a <laughs> pleasure <laughs> to have
2: you we don't mean to put pressure on you or anything <laughs> just do the best you can <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we have
1: our 800th show coming up in july but we'll talk about that later yeah, so Ben's take, just- take us away with our questions
2: so nomar let's uh, start start off with something you know it's, it may only be a few words as a question but you know it's probably going to be an hour-long answer tell us uh, what happened at the loring air force base in northern maine in 1975
3: well, uh, I think you hit it right on the head. That is definitely a uh, short question, but a long answer. Yeah, 25 uh, words or less. <laughs> <laughs> quite a bit happened. Uh, so the Air Force Base was operational in Maine from 47, which is an interesting year uh, in, in our world, uh, to 1994. And uh, like Paul was saying earlier, it did house nuclear weapons in the 60s and 70s. And in 1975, a series of encounters happened. Over the course of three days, where a UFO was seen hovering over the base uh, in different areas, including where the nukes were kept, uh, these uh, or this object was seen on radar and visually, including the wing commander, who was the highest-ranking officer on the site. And it seemed to culminate on this third night when the UFO was seen just hovering a few feet over the runway. Main State Police and Air Force Police rushed to the area, and they were all flabbergasted, really, at what they were looking at. They described an oval-shaped object that looked like it had lava or, or, or something flowing all around it with all these different colored light. Patterns, things going over it. And then after a few moments it blinked out. It was then picked up on the radar over and over Scotia just uh, a few seconds later. Uh, This is a bit more anecdotal, but it is also claimed by the son of one of the officers on the site that the men in black went there the next day and confiscated reports Hmm. about the incident. Um, Something that's not so anecdotal, though, is in 1982, a couple of journalists looked into the case, and uh, it eventually brought them to contact the FBI in Massachusetts. And the FBI in Massachusetts said that they are uh, still investigating the case and that it wasn't closed it was still ongoing however the official statement from Loring at the time of the incident was that it was drug smugglers and helicopters uh, but after these uh, uh, journalists looked into it their official determination at the base was unknown
1: hmm were there any landings involved uh, I, I'm thinking of a from Forest.
2: I was actually just going to say it sounds like there there are a lot of parallels with yeah. that case
3: Definitely a lot of parallels, but nothing that's been reported. Now, when I say that, you know, this incident took place over three days in 1975, that's just the most famous incident that took place at Lauren Air Force Base. But when you talk to witnesses, other people that were stationed there, are other people that live in the area, they said that they would see lights and crafts and things all the time. You know, so could have a landing have happened and we just haven't talked to that witness? It's quite possible.
1: Mm, okay, well, uh, let's stay on the same subject of Loring with the um, a letter from um, uh, our good listener in Columbia, South America, Peter. And what does Peter have to ask?
2: So Peter writes to us. Uh, Captain Mike Wallace, uh, quote uh, sa- or said, quote, "What in the hell happened with the UFO the other night?" The aircraft commander of the first tanker uh, s- uh, said. Uh, I can't talk about it, Mike, and uh, you wouldn't believe me if I could. Did you discover exactly what happened that the commander could not reveal?
3: Uh, Specifically, exactly those words and the answer that hopefully goes to those words? No, not specifically. What I could uh, uh, maybe speculate on is the witnessing of such a... A, a sight such an encounter, mm-hmm. so close to the ground we're talking it was hovering just a few feet over the runway when when the air force police and the and the main state police were converging on the uh the object mm-hmm. uh so I'm wondering if 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 that's what it was and you know because that that information didn't come out till many years later and and I'm wondering if that's what it's speculating to uh something more dramatic uh in my opinion anyways that happened which <sighs> maybe could be an answer to this, although it wasn't the same time. Uh, in 1964, an air policeman claimed to have seen a dark-colored UFO hovering just a few feet above the runway. There were no lights or anything this time, uh, but uh, numerous airmen had seen it, and, uh, and, and it was interesting that it was in the same area as the 1975 encounter. What's more interesting, though, is that in December of 64, uh, this airman, the same airman who saw the uh, the, the dark-colored UFO, uh, he said that he was making his rounds, his usual rounds, you know, walking around, and he spied what he describes some people walking by a snowbank near the b-52 bomber areas which he described as being outfitted with nukes at the time and the airman shouted for the people to come forward as no one was allowed in the area and he actually fired off a warning shot and he said that the eventually they made their way out and the airman was terrified at their appearance and he actually fired at them he then claimed that as soon as he fired at them they vanished. They disappeared. And then just a few moments later, the base came to life. Lights came on and air and, and police personnel came to the site and actually apprehended the airmen. And he tried explaining what he witnessed, but the superiors didn't want to hear it. And he, and he claimed that he was relieved of duty for firing shots near the nuke area.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's really uh, from my time in the service. You don't uh, do that ex- except uh, in extremis, so to speak.
3: Yeah, 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 and and of course he thought this was an extreme situation. Yeah, and, and in his opinion, his superiors didn't want to hear that. So he goes on to say a few months later that uh, that airman uh, said that he had walked into a local bar. And was being given a hard time by other uh, people that were still in the service, you know, making fun of him because he was the guy that fired at little green men, things like that. Mm. And uh, it's stated that he walked up to these former colleagues and said to them, they're gray, not green, and then walked out. <laughs> <up. laughs> yeah. Now, again, this whole story, again, is a bit anecdotal. There's nothing, you know, to back it up other than just him telling this story, but it's it's quite interesting.
1: One of the more disconcerting uh, things that we've heard uh, from everybody, from Colonel Hall, from Rendlesham, all the way down to you right now, is the uh, the interest of whatever or whoever this is in uh, nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we have some information from various places, uh, not not even American bases necessarily, where craft, if that's what they are, uh, and or it, it, their uh, crew or whatever have not only at times uh, been sort of uh, shining lights down in weapon uh, storage areas, WSAs, this sort of thing, Uh, they've also uh, retargeted or uh, deactivated nuclear weapons. But retargeted? I mean, have you heard anything like that in reference to Loring or anywhere else?
3: Not in reference to Loring but was it maelstrom Air Force Base uh, I I'm, I'm, uh, don't have all my notes in front of me right yeah. now but uh, but definitely there's been uh, reports of uh, uh, nuclear uh, facilities you know coming to life or tests being stopped or started you know yeah. things like that uh, but uh, in what's doing it obviously it's all speculation I like the way you put it you know craft or, or whatever they might be uh, what's important about UFO study is to to remember what UFO stands for. It's identified flying object. Yes. So are so are UFOs real? Absolutely, one hundred percent. But are they extraterrestrial? We have no way of knowing. You know? <laughs> well but, as, uh, as
1: they say, you know, some may be, some may not, but we just we really just don't don't know after f- over fifty years of research.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think the term UFO uh becomes synonymous with extraterrestrial and I, I just think it's important to to point out that it's exactly what it describes. It doesn't mean it's always extraterrestrial.
1: Well said. Okay, Nomar, uh are there any other cases and um, are there any what a silly question. What other cases <laughs> regarding luring would you like to uh to point out uh to us today?
3: In in my opinion, it was my own
1: Really? Okay. Yes. Oh, no, that's right. Yes, please. Tell us
3: so, about it. So, uh, two years ago in April, I headed up to Loring for a little investigation of my own. Of course, I was working on the book, and I was writing about the Loring Air Force ca- uh, base cases, and I wanted to go up there and just spend a little time up there. Uh, and, and this place is, it's just massive. And it's almost completely abandoned now around the peripheral of the base uh and in speaking with the uh the the committee that uh that is responsible for bringing business to the area uh they they do have some businesses on the peripheral there's a call center there's a museum there's a few stores but right in the center of the base there's there's nothing it's just the base and it's abandoned uh, the department of defense actually has an active accounting department again on the peripheral as well mm-hmm. and uh, there's actually barbed wire and a chain link fence around it and i'm wondering since that the that's the accounting department if some of the uh information that came out in december of 2017 i wonder if some of that information flowed through that area uh you know with louise elizondo and and all that stuff that uh, that sure. was going on yeah so yeah. Can, can kind of interesting there. But anyways, the base is like the perfect setting for The Walking Dead or something. There's weeds <laughs> growing in the roadways. Uh, the housing, there's two large housing areas that kind of look like apartment buildings or condos and they're all falling apart there's massive hangers that bleed rust and and it's huge and you can just have the run of the place uh there are very few buildings you can actually go inside of they're locked with you know do not enter or no trespassing signs uh so when i got to the area i actually went to the local police department and explained what i was doing and they're like okay weirdo you know have fun (laughs) and uh so I went on site during the day to get a lay of the land and scout out where I wanted to be at night. and I hung out there for a few hours. I took hundreds of pictures just because it's awesome. Uh, I actually got in my car. There's like two or three miles of runway and I may have gone over 100 miles in my car unobstructed by any <laughs> uh, anything, uh, which was kind of fun interesting. Um, uh, But then I went back to the hotel, took a nap, and I was coming back at night. Uh, That's when everybody's seen lights in the sky, so I just wanted to recreate those settings. Uh, So as soon as I got to the base, I was lost. (laughs) Uh, It's so dark. I just wasn't prepared for that. Uh, I don't know why I wasn't prepared for that. There's no power going to the base. It's just not something I thought about. But surprisingly, Google Maps works there, (laughs) and uh, and I was able to get my bearings to have all the little side streets in there and and i was able to get my bearings and uh, i was able to find the areas i wanted to go to so i first did an evp session at the hangar uh nothing was found and i did an evp session because i I don't know, uh, it, you know, if this is real, how they communicate. Maybe I can hear something. I don't know. But anyways, it didn't generate anything. Hmm. Uh, I, I then went to the runways, and I parked the car, and I shut off all the lights, and I had an unobstructed view of the sky. And I sat there for about an hour watching for anything. And it was drizzling that night, so there was some low cloud cover. So I'm like, if I'm going to see something, it's going to be below the clouds. So that was enticing to me. However, it had another side effect. The drizzling, like after a while, it started to sound like white noise, and I was getting this headache, and at the time I was smoking, I've since quit. It's actually been about eight months now, so Mm -hmm. uhm, congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, but anyways. I got out of the car and I just needed some fresh air and a light up a smoke. That's how smokers think we're insane. But anyways, mm-hmm. as I uh I stood there, I could just barely hear someone or something walking up the runway towards me. And I was like, What the hell is this? And I was scared and I was in the pitch black and I'm standing next to my car. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And uh but before I get out of the car I had started it, so If I'm by the car, I have the light of the dashboards that can illuminate a little bit. And I'm not seeing anything, and it was actually really bright being on that side of the car. So I walked towards the front of the car to see if I could hear anything or see anything down the runway. And I kept kept hearing somebody walk, but they would, it was kind of weird. They would walk and then stop, and then they would walk, and then they would stop. And then I realized it was my intermittent windshield wipers. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I think I was losing my mind at that point, so I headed to I got back in the car and i 'm like okay i just i, I got to go to another area i can 't just sit here in the dark." so I headed to the radar tower area and I parked again, uh, but uh, you know I kept the car running and I watched the sky and after a little while, I saw a light in the sky. Uh, and right there in that moment, guys, I was, I was human. I, sitting right in the passenger seat was my gear. I had a full spectrum camera, a parabolic mic, uh, uh, I had a night vision camera. And I'm just sitting there staring at it with my jaw open, you know, just being a human, being like, wow, I'm, I'm seeing something right now that really shouldn't be there. And, but again, it was just a light, but it was hovering. It wasn't moving. Hmm. And... What altitude what would else? you say? Oh god, 300. Yeah, three hundred yards maybe, because I couldn't even see the tower. <laughs> oh, so uh, not all that
1: st- far. Okay.
3: No, not all that far at all, Uh, but I couldn't even see the tower at that point, so it was really hard to judge, but I watched it for a moment, and finally I was like, oh, I should probably record this, (laughs) and I I look down, and I'm holding my cell phone, and I just, whoop, jeez and I fumbled and turned that on. Again, night vision, full spectrum camera right beside me, and I turn on the cell phone camera, and I start recording it. And uh, while I was recording it, I decided to try and get closer. So I uh, put the car into drive, and I moved towards it. And just as I did this, the light did this weird flickering thing, and then it blinked out. Hmm. It was actually kind of wild. Uh, the recording's on my YouTube channel, so just do a search for and uh or Lauren uh, Air Force Base UFO, and you'll find it, and you can see it. All you can see is really just the light in the sky that does this weird flickering thing, and then it blinks out. But when you put all the pieces together, it's not the full puzzle. You're missing a whole lot. But when you put it together, it starts to maybe resemble something. You know, so in 64 something happened, 75 something happened. Then, you know, this idiot goes there all these years later and something happened to me too. I saw a light in the sky. What I saw was a UFO. Did I see something extraterrestrial? There, there's no way I could ever determine that. But it's certainly interesting.
1: Uh, ben, do you have any? Uh, thoughts uh, that?
2: Well, I mean, we are coming
1: up on our break, so I'm trying to
2: keep it keep it light and brief. I yeah. actually I thought it was interesting that um, you brought up the idea of you know doing an EVP beforehand because we, yeah. we did a we had a the, question
1: on that last yeah
2: week. we had a question on that last week and you know if any if anybody had ever tried it or if we or if we knew anybody that ever did that and I, I said well no I don't think I've
1: well actually it. Kathy Martin came back and said that yes she was aware of so she hadn't got she oh, okay. was unable to get back to us in time for the show it uh, happened but uh, <laughs> we're gonna bring that up on uh, March 10th on our open line some way of Shane down
2: here. yeah i never thought of that that's actually uh, I guess you know maybe it's just one of those things you know you don't think about and then it turns out everyone does it anyway <laughs> well as nomar as
1: will testify I'm sure uh, these things very often happen so quickly that you, even if you're prepared, for something weird to happen, it's probably something else.
3: Yeah, yeah exactly. other than what
1: happened. So yeah,
3: I, and just in the, seeing this light, I was fully prepared. I, yeah. I, everything was planned out, and I was a bumpling idiot holding a cell phone, and so I got you know fifteen seconds or something of this light on my cell phone when I was fully prepared with gear next to me. You know, mm-hmm. you just never know what's going to happen in the moment. But I do have some evidence of uh, EVPs uh, in an extraterrestrial encounter. If you want to talk about that after the break, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think. I think that's that's relevant. Uh, We have some more questions from listeners, but yeah, I think that's that's something we can we can deal with. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we take our we can take a break a little. Take a break a little. Yeah, it's not a hard break. Okay. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 and. AM, a. that is, and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley and our 10th anniversary show here on this station. And uh, thank you all for those times. And we'll be right back with our great guest, Nomar Slevic and UFOs in Maine. Stick with us.
0: Hey, this is Gerald Albright. And
2: I'm Dave Coz, inviting you to tune in this weekend when Mr. Albright joins me right here in the studios of the Dave Coz Radio Show. Lots of great music in store. Remember, you can visit DaveCoz.com for all the details and be here this weekend for Gerald Albright and more on the Dave Coz Radio Show.
0: Hi, fans of smooth jazz. The Dave Coz Radio Show can only be heard on ON, AM, and FM every Sunday, twice on Sundays, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., and again 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. The Dave Coz Radio Show is brought to you by the Carew Investment Group. It's the Dave Coz Radio Show right here on
1: ON, AM, and FM. Hi, Moose Man here. The Groove Line is there every Thursday live between one and two PM and replayed at six to seven PM. All your favorites, a variety of rock, and the Beatles every single week. That's the Groove Line right here on ON
2: ON Radio.
1: Okay, and welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in our beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we're talking with Nomar Slevic from Maine today on, on on the bizarre UFO life of the state of Maine, the Pine Tree State. My favorite place in the world, I think, except for mm. Devon, <laughs> <laughs> But anyway... <laughs> So, um Nobar, you, you had uh, brought up the idea of uh, EVPs being recorded during cases. I know this might take us outside of Maine, but just briefly, uh, what, uh what's the story with that?
3: Well, I've actually been, been researching this case of a couple in southern Maine who seem to be having ongoing current Encounters inside and outside of their home. And uh, they have set up some cameras and they have recorders and they've taken a lot of pictures and have a lot of footage uh, of what they've been experiencing. And one thing they've done is left an audio recorder out during the night. And they've cut two interesting pieces. One of them sounds like uh, this weird metallic sound. Obviously, it could be anything. uh, But uh, to give you a sense of what it sounds like, it, it, it kind of sounds like a, a city bus when it puts its brakes on. You know, you get that screeching kind of metallic sound. Uh, and it was very, very odd. You know, it was, you know, a little after 3 o'clock in the morning, and it had been silent beforehand, silent after. It just seemed to come out of nowhere. Uh, on another night, they caught the word Earth. Again, they were just sleeping Nothing before, nothing after it. No one's asking questions, but they caught the word "earth." It's very odd.
1: Well, uh, th- th- that is very interesting. As a matter of fact, in uh, the Litchfield Triangle case we were working on in Connecticut right now, I've been uh, hearing all week from the uh, one of our uh, uh, people out there who uh, is in the house where the case really began, and it's a flat area case. There are UFOs, a uh, mm-hmm. ghost. Lee type phenomena, for lack of a better term, uh, even cryptids uh, and y- things that don't even have names yet, and she's <laughs> been doing precisely that. Uh, not outside yet, but she's going to start, and uh, she's picking up the sounds of a battle. Wow! And uh, so, I mean, it, these are EVPs being electronic voice phenomena. Uh, ben can address this more because he has a degree in sound uh, design and, and, and audio engineering, but it just. Uh, I think we, we have to be very careful, as I'm sure you'd agree no more, of pareidolia, which is the phenomenon by which the brain takes a sound or, or, or something that the eye is seeing, an image, and it will turn it into something uh, that it can grasp, whether it's, that's accurate or not. So, But uh, nevertheless, very interesting. And, and you get into something that that is, we would refer to as crossover phenomena, and we confer mm-hmm. frequently with some of the headliners in the UFO community about Uh, People being abducted and then uh, all of a sudden having a a poltergeist phenomenon in their house or things that they refer to as demonic, that sort of thing. But that's perhaps for another show. But it does lead us into another question from a listener. Uh, This is also from Peter in South America. I think we should make Peter an honorary co-host. This is, uh, what are the unique or special features of the David Stevens UFO abduction case?
3: Well, I, <clears throat> it's interesting that that email or this question comes at this time because it's some paranormal activity kind of makes that case interesting. So initially, David Stevens and a friend, uh, had heard this loud bang or explosion outside and they went out to, to, to check it out. This was late at night and they claimed to have seen a UFO. Well later on that night they inexplicably find themselves in David's car and they're driving on the road in Maine, uh Norway, Maine, and David says that the car kinda takes on a life of its own, maybe a la Christine <laughs> Stephen King's Christine. Yeah. And it drive it drives them to this lake. And while at the lake this this fog is, is, rolling over the lake and towards them and, and once it engulfs them, they see this giant UFO over them and, you know, the next thing you know, they're inside it. All of this came out in, uh, hypnotic regression later. Hmm. And, and David said that, uh, there were beans there and he actually has a sketch of the beans and he worked with, uh, investigator Shirley Fickett and another investigator, Brent Raines, uh, on the case. And uh, I reached out to David myself to... You know get the story in his own words all these years later, and uh, he would not return uh, any of my inquiries, which is fine you know that happens in cases, but I was able to uh, talk to Brent Raines about about the case, and we've since you know befriended each other he's a a gentleman and uh, an intellectual, and he shared his thoughts on the case and he also shared that. The aftermath of the case involves some paranormal activity, one of which is David went back to the site of uh, the lake with the sighting and said that Ash began to fall, uh, uh, it, it almost seemed like snow, but, uh, it, it wasn't winter time, but he said all this ash would fall. And then when he was inside his home, he said that his TV, which was not turned on, said UFO and that, and, and that an ashtray hovered above his television and then that they would see these like black squares or square boxes, really, you know, like three-dimensional boxes, kind of float around the house and go in and out of walls. So, very interesting that that stuff would happen. It also, is uh, th-
1: that box right. thing happens in in several houses in the Torrington, Connecticut area, <clears throat> in this Litchfield Triangle, as we discussed. So, it uh, may be dealing with a with a flap area there, as we would call it.
3: Yeah, it, it, that's interesting you so said I say that. things
1: that don't even have names yet,
3: really, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. what do you call that?
1: <laughs> well, well, it's it. Yeah, we, we st- and we've been working on this case for um, going on 15 years, and it oh just keeps goodness. getting bigger. You know, there are well, more witnesses. When you look outside the quote-unquote haunted house, you, you will find very often UFO sightings. You find the neighbors sure. are also having problems. You know, it's just you got to think well. big.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely gotta gotta broaden your your scope. I think the the when you fall into being uh, uh, narrow minded or tunnel vision or or and 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 not with intent or ill intent, but it, it's just the way things go sometimes. You know, you're you're focusing on UFO, you're focusing on ghosts, you're not thinking about the broader picture. But uh, you know, uh, obviously you and me, uh, we keep that in mind because you you never know what could be happening or is it all connected under this paranormal umbrella? Uh, you know, like no, precisely. Uh, so, yeah, that's my thoughts on it.
1: Okay. Well, we have another question from, we have, this is from Yvette in Whitensville, Mass. Uh, and it says, please ask Nomar about any cases in Maine where UFOs and Bigfoot were seen together. Ben, why don't you finish the sentence there? <laughs> okay. Because th- th- that uh, derives right from we're talk- what we're talking about.
2: Okay. So, uh, also, does he think that uh, UFOs are all flying craft, or could they be some living things, like Paul and Ben sometimes say?
1: Yeah, but plasma-based, that
2: kind of thing.
3: Sure, I'll, I'll answer that second part first, and I'll get into the Bigfoot UFO connection in a second. Uh, but uh, could that be some sort of living organism or, or something like that? Absolutely, I think any theory is is welcomed. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean that's a, a short answer, but yes, <laughs> I agree. It could be something like that. Uh, as far as the you know cryptid UFO connection uh, in Maine, specifically for things that I've researched, actually, no, I haven't come across. Hmm. Uh, specifically with Bigfoot, but maybe another cryptid, something Mothman-like, oh. and and this happened in the uh, town of Camden, Maine, and so that's the high rent district. It, it is. Yeah. It is. It's a lovely area. Uh, but I had heard of this encounter, you know, just through my research. Actually, uh, I was just wondering if there had been any sort of encounter like this in Maine. So I literally Googled Mothman in Maine to see what I could come up with. And it turns out I came up with this headline. And I kept saying, man sees Mothman-like creature in Camden. Man sees Mothman-like creature in Camden. But I couldn't find the story. So I I reached out to fellow author and researcher Michelle Sillier. She's from Southern Maine. and uh, for, For some help on it. And she was actually able to track down a witness name. So I looked the guy up on Facebook and after numerous attempts with people with the same name, which was a bit awkward at times, mm-hmm. uh, I, I actually found the guy, and he was willing to talk about his encounter. Uh, it had started in 2001 and it was almost 35 years to the month of the original Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant in 66. Hmm. So so, anyways, this witness, he, prefer, he prefers to remain anonymous, so I gave him a different name in the book, uh, but he was walking home early one evening in Camden, who he was walking on Washington Street towards his apartment building. And Washington Street starts right in the center of downtown Camden. It's a gorgeous little coastal town right out of a Stephen King book. And as he walked, he began hearing this loud chirping or squeaking sound, kind of like a, a, a large mouse or a rat or something. Mm-hmm. And he looked down to see what it was. And when he looked down, he saw this large shadow on the ground go by, knowing that it was something above him casting the shadow. So he looked up. And he saw this odd humanoid figure with wings, and it flew over him, and it was making that sound. And he said that the body was about four and a half, four, four and a half feet large, large translucent wings, and it flew right up over the apartment building that he lived in. And as it did that, he said he got a good measurement of the wings as it spanned from one side of the eaves to the other of his building. And that would put it at about 25 feet in length. I I actually went down there last year to to check it out, and the measurement is, is a little over 25 feet. I mean, that's the size of, like, a Cessna. That's huge. Yeah. So anyways, it, it flew off to this marshy area that's actually behind the building. And he talked to friends and family about it. And it's not that they didn't really believe him. They just thought he might have misidentified something like maybe a turkey vulture or sandhill crane, and which we have you know, both in Maine. But he's like, no, I know what I saw. But after this, reoccurring dreams started. And he said that he would find himself at that same spot on Washington Street. And when he looked up, instead of seeing the creature, he actually saw a UFO. And he said it was as large as a house. And it would, as soon as he looked at it, he said it would roar to life and take off. And in our discussion and, you know, how we're researchers and we ask some questions, I asked him if it was more like a dream or maybe more like a memory. And he's like, that's interesting you said that. I tell people it's a dream. Because I don't want them to think I'm insane, but I believe it's a memory. So well, go that, ahead. I'm sorry.
1: That that that's pretty spectacular. Ben just uh, let me know that he had a Mothman dream last night.
2: Yeah, which is weird. When really? yeah, I did. It was it was really it was really weird that you that you bring this up because I I I was like I was sitting here and I was like why do I know that I was like wait a second I had a dream with Mothman in it last night and I I kind of dismissed it, uh, but now, now that it sort of popped up in conversation, wow. I um yeah, it was weird. Uh or were you
1: in Camden, Maine?
2: No, well actually I don't know. We <laughs> were, were... You reading
3: this chapter in my book <laughs> before <laughs> yeah. you went to bed.
2: <laughs> Basically. Yeah, no, I well I had a um I don't know, we were like I had a dream we were on a case, uh, you and I did, and um you know, it was you know, typical, you know, ghost stuff, but it was this this family that had this incredibly old house. They were there for generations, um, no relation to any other case we're working on currently. It seemed like we were in the middle of nowhere, actually. Um, like in, like, a, like, a, like a plains place, maybe somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we were stepping outside to get in our vehicle and, you know, depart. And you're like, oh, look, there's Mothman. Like, very, oh. like, nonchalant, like, hey, how <laughs> hey! you doing? <laughs> yeah. And, like, I glanced over and there was Mothman. Just well, I've known
1: sta- him for years. <laughs>
2: just standing there, staring into the window and then turned and looked, like, straight at us and then
1: flew away. Interesting.
2: Yeah, huh. and I woke up, and I was like, oh, God, I woke up, I remember this, because I woke up at, like, three or four in the morning, because I've been doing that all week. Oh, that was hour Oh, that means nothing. <laughs> anyway, I, and I was like, oh, God, I hope he doesn't, like, appear outside the window or anything. I was like, I'm not ready for that. Like, I haven't been <laughs> sleeping. i <Yeah>, better <that laughs> rough day, right? All right.
1: Well, that's pretty cool. Not main, but uh, relevant. Okay, so before we burn up the hour here, Nomar, tell us about your your book, uh, what you're working on, where people can find out more about you, and, and certainly your film work.
3: Oh, sure, uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, and I'm always working on something, so let me get my thoughts together here. So first of all, the book, uh, Otherworldly Encounters, uh, you can find that wherever books are sold. Uh, what I'd like to uh, recommend is this website. I'm not affiliated with, with them at all, but it's IndieBound.org, I-N-D-I-E Bound.org, and they're a search tool where... Uh, that search mom and pop bookstores in your area so you go to the site you type in your zip code it then you know uh uh, allocates everything to to that zip code and then you can do a search for whatever book you're looking for and it'll tell you which mom and pop stores have it and uh, if they don't have it they can certainly order it but i just think it's a great website that that helps keep mom and pop stores you know going and in business yeah uh but obviously you can find it on other platforms amazon barnes and noble all that good stuff and uh, in the new england area uh you could find it on uh, the bookshelves as well uh, uh as you mentioned at the beginning of the show abducted new england which is a documentary uh directed by bill brock and uh i wrote it and uh, somewhat directed it with him. you know we you, you know how it is you just kind of work on something together mm. and uh, don't really think about titles but uh uh, that is available on Vidispace Space that you spoke about, and then also Amazon Prime. It is free if you have the Amazon Prime service. Just search for, by name, Abducted New England. That's a half-hour documentary that covers three cases of uh, men in Maine who may or may not have been abducted. You know, watch it and decide for yourself. Uh, as I know re- what I'm
1: going to watch tonight.
3: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as of right now, I'm actually working on a documentary of that couple I was telling you about in southern Maine. Wow. Uh, that, that's having all these uh, encounters. And uh, it's called Otherworldly Amor. And amor means Spanish in love. Mm-hmm. And the reason uh, I've called it that is this couple... Uh, they're, they're, they're like soulmates. I mean, you should just watch them together. They're just so in love. And separately, while growing up, they had lots of paranormal and extraterrestrial type encounters growing up. And then they somehow found each other in adulthood and are having continued experiences together. And they're scary at times. They're, they're painful, physically painful at times. And what helps them through it is their love. For each other, and and that's how they get through it together. And I just think it's a wonderful story to tell. It's this love story with this extraterrestrial background, and it's just fascinating. Not to mention they have all this footage and pictures and EVPs. And I just think the world needs to tell their, you know, needs to hear their story. And I'm a storyteller at heart. You know, I I do it uh, uh, through the written word. I do it through documentaries. And I also have my own podcast. It's called I Want to Believe the podcast. You can find it, you know, iTunes and anywhere you get your podcast. Yes, uh, it's, it's just me and a buddy, and we're a couple of idiots. We have fun with it. <laughs> we 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 don't take ourselves seriously, but we take the subject matter seriously. Mm-hmm. And uh, season two is live now. It's uh, thirteen episodes, so we record everything at once, and then we release it all at once, Netflix style. Uh, so that's available now. And I
1: appreciate Sounds
3: you. you that. <laughs>
1: oh, absolutely, absolutely.
3: So uh, we,
1: we we've had unique problems putting a show together on the Allegash case of 1975. Mm. Can you talk about that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, the Allegash case may have been the first case that uh, I came across in Maine uh, when I was a child. Now, I had my own encounter when I was four or five years old, and and uh, I, I, I you know it was essentially a light in the sky, um, and it, it, that was the catalyst for me to to. Find out about things all paranormal, you know, ghosts, Bigfoot, and UFOs. And uh, one night, I'm sure, just like uh, you guys, uh, maybe especially Ben, I absolutely was in love with the Unsolved Mysteries show. And I saw the Allegash abduction story on Unsolved Mysteries. And uh, the story is about four guys, 1976, two twin brothers, two friends from Massachusetts that came up to the Allegash Wilderness Waterway for some camping and fishing and uh, during uh while they were in college and it was one of their breaks from college and uh one of the first nights there the four guys and some other campers all witnessed a ufo briefly and then later on in the week they all decided to do some night fishing and they had set up a big bonfire so they could find their way back to shore later and uh, while they were fishing they said that they saw that same ufo again And they claimed that it got very close, but then it disappeared. Uh, They then finished fishing and headed back to shore. They could barely see the bonfire, which confused them because they, they, they were not gone for very long. But once they got to shore, they saw that it was mostly like these glowing embers. And they thought that to be quite odd that it would burn down so quickly. So eventually, they left Maine and went back to Massachusetts and kept living their lives. And it wasn't until years later that one of the men started having these odd dreams. Again, dreams, you know, play a part in a lot of these cases where aliens would be surrounding his bed. And he claimed it got so bad, he, he began having seizures. And he eventually went to a UFO conference to, uh, to seek some help. And and I believe it was a MUFON conference. And uh, Raymond Fowler was there. And Fowler, oh. of course, is a renowned ufologist. You know, the author of uh, the
1: Andreessen case
3: books. Uh, yes, absolutely. So after Fowler heard about uh, the, the UFO sightings, the dreams and caesar's he agreed to help and hypnosis sessions were set up for all four guys and and uh, during that the full scope of their UFO encounter was on on Earth. And all four men told the same story of being out fishing. The UFO gets close and then begins to chase them and then shines a beam of light down at them which they think brings them on board this beam of light. And while on board the the men were stripped and various medical procedures were done to them. and, And Fowler wrote a book on the case. And again, their story was on Unsolved Mysteries and they hit the convention circuit to tell their story. But then some things started to happen. Years after all this came out Chuck Rack one of the four abductees began to distance himself from the other three men he gave an interview in 2016 where he claimed that the four men that all of them made up the story he said that they did that, uh, that. Excuse me. He said that they did see a UFO, which sparked the idea of an abduction story. And maybe they could make some money from it. And he said that they didn't make much, and it became a bit of a nuisance after a while. And in that same interview, though, the journalists also contacted another one of the abductees, Charlie Foltz, to get his side of the story. And he stated that it was the three of them who distanced themselves from Chuck Rack, as he has a violent temper and has actually been banned from some UFO conventions due to his behavior. Uh, Foltz said that Rack is a loose cannon, and the three men still stand behind their story, and they are not giving Chuck the time of day anymore. And my opinion of it, well... Like I was telling you before, this case has, like, a special place in my heart. It was the first encounter I've ever heard from Maine, and um, uh, I've watched interviews with the guys, and they really come across as sincere, and I think my bias is definitely playing into it, but I believe these guys, you know?
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, in When you take Maine cases as a whole, Nomar, uh, how many... Abductions in relation to sightings or encounters, would you say by percentage there might be, just off the top of your head?
3: 25% maybe.
1: 25% abductions, okay. Of those, uh, and I don't know if if anybody's really gotten into some of this, um, and I presume you've interviewed some witnesses on this, Mm -hmm. how many were uh, positive and how many negative, for lack of better terms? Because as we all know, some people have very... Uh, ne- a lot of people have very negative experiences in, in this sort of thing, whatever it may be, the nature of it, and other people enjoy them. I mean, what what would you say? Uh,
3: <laughs> as far uh, as I'm I would say maybe 80%, uh, 20%, uh, 80% being negative. Yeah. But ne- negative in the sense of, you know, what actually happened also mixed with, you know, the aftermath, the struggling through it, the processing of it, you know, uh, things like that. So maybe what happened during the abduction either they might not remember all of it or what they remembered remember of it is so weird you know that they're just kind of struggling with it so nothing has really positive has come out of it so okay
1: now uh, in our last few minutes here uh what are one or two of the most recent cases in Maine or whether it be sightings or whatever you've encountered
3: oh boy uh, they 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 happen all the time but there's this uh fairly recent case in Millinocket, maine uh so that's you're you're getting to kind of uh central western maine yeah, with the lumber them, country but, yeah 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 and there's this uh gentleman there and his family and they've almost been plagued almost like a triangle area uh where where there's some poltergeist activity happening uh, inside of their home alongside uh, UFO sightings happening outside. And uh, while, uh, when he first started seeing these UFOs, which is just uh, uh, a couple years ago now, but again ongoing, uh, he said that he could actually see beams of light coming from them, almost like they're searching for something in the woods. And he's gone out there a few times and, and just can't understand what, if anything, they would be looking for, uh, in the woods. To him, it just looks like woods. But, you know, uh, are there portals there? Is he just crazy? Like, who knows what's, what's actually going on? But uh, again, another very sincere gentleman. That's, that's why I like to meet these people in person. You, you get to see the look in their eye, the tone of their voice, the body language and, yeah.
1: It really helps
3: in, in discerning whether oh, so you should true. Yeah. continue researching, you know.
1: a funny it's question. but we're going these beams of light, what color, or did he mention this, what color were the beams of light?
3: Yeah, in this particular case, he said that the beam of light was was a, a whitish, you know, maybe eggshell white color.
1: Okay, because we often run into what, and we didn't, I had e- even heard this term until we got involved in this Connecticut case, the blue beam phenomenon, which is, ah. as we understand, is is sometimes associated with abductions, and we have photographs sure. of this from the Connecticut case. Uh, ben, do you have any further uh, thoughts here? Because uh, um, I do
2: not. We are coming coming down kind of to the wire well, we here. Well, we yeah. have a few more minutes. that's true. We do have a few more minutes. Well, really, mostly I, I was kind of I kind of had this this thought. We, we were going over it slightly during the show that. Um, if there was any other sort of paranormal phenomena that's been going on in these areas that you've been researching, besides you know the ubiquitous UFOs, orbs, and things like that,
1: well, I did want to ask about uh, uh, the underwater UFO oh, yes, phenomenon, definitely. okay? Because whether it be at the seacoast or yeah. you know at uh, you know Moosehead Lake or somewhere, yeah. uh, <laughs> do you have cases of that kind? Because uh, th- that's coming to the fore in a lot of research today, underwater UFOs. Sure. or.
3: Yeah, uh, there is one case that's been reported of uh, a uh, a couple seeing a UFO exit the water. There has been a few reports of UFOs not necessarily diving into the water because the perspective of the witness didn't actually see it penetrate the water. They just saw it descend down towards the water. But this specific case in Bucksport, Maine, this couple saw a UFO shoot out of the water and actually saw kelp or some sort of vegetation hanging off of the UFO <laughs> uh, which I thought was really interesting
1: it is, yeah, and I'm thinking too the uh, the, the Shag Harbor incident from the 60s sure. is just across the Bay of Fundy there,
3: yeah, not from, far from at that, all
1: that vicinity, uh, a very interesting case on the Canadian side of the line okay, well, uh, Nomar uh, again, please tell us your Facebook page, your website, wherever any pe- people can find out more about you and uh, we'll start yeah. thinking about another show
3: yeah, yeah. The uh, best place to reach me and to kind of keep up what I'm doing because I update it often is Facebook. And you can find me at Nomar Slevic Author on Facebook. So, Facebook.com slash Nomar Slevic Author. And uh, you can send me a message, you know, tell me I'm an idiot, uh, you know, report an <laughs> encounter, whatever you want to do. If you call me an idiot, I might not respond. But other than that, you know, I, I welcome people to, to hit me up or, you know, give me ideas or send cases my way, whatever you want to do. But that's the best place to, uh. to reach me or follow my word. Work on updates yeah,
1: i can't imagine anyone calling you an idiot unless they are an idiot themselves but uh, <laughs> uh, wonderful show thank you so much we'll be in touch we'll look forward to uh, getting to know you better and to doing more shows
3: yeah it was a pleasure and congratulations again on the ten years <laughs> thank yeah you, thank sir. you okay very good
1: okay folks let's uh get going with our announcements here
3: indeed uh, all
1: right we've got uh Go we had a very interesting uh, day yesterday. we well we didn't Ben was uh, under the weather but we had a nice uh Time at the uh, Cumberland Rhode Island Public Library, right in our listening area here, and uh, we, it was really, we met some wonderful people, and Ben's mom filled in for him. And it was uh, really, really nice. And we didn't speak, but we had an author expo down there. So go ahead, Ben.
2: Alrighty. So for any strange friends or uh, relatives whose tastes run to the weird and unexplained, try giving autographed copies of our books. Uh, Our latest titles include uh, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know Is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters uh, You Never Heard Of. They're available from online retailers and in some stores. But for autographed copies, you can pretty much only get those at BehindTheParanormal.com.
1: Okay, and uh, again, back to the Cumberland Library. Many thanks to Aaron Kutu down there and all the folks on the staff. Uh, Again, it was just a wonderful day and uh, in the afternoon, and we met lots of great people.
2: And uh, our next event will be April 23rd at 1 p.m., and we'll be back at the Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut for a presentation, and we will keep you posted as uh, details develop.
1: And after that comes another event in April and we're particularly excited about this because it's uh, right in our neighborhood. Uh, the X-Filers United 2019 Convention. That's April 26th to 28th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. This is a fan convention covering all areas of the paranormal, UFOs, ghost phenomena, cryptids, and much more. Along with Ben and myself, speakers will include our popular guest co-host, Shane Sirway, uh, filmmaker Alexander Petterkoff, UFO researcher and experiencer Mike Stevens, along with America's youngest recognized cryptid expert who's been on the show, Colin Snyder from Ohio. Uh, famous medium Gary McKinstry, author Susan Brunell, UFO experiencer Tom Reed, and a number of other big names. Uh, we'll give you details as they come up, and the website is x-filersunited.com. Uh, events later this year will include appearances at the Nashua New Hampshire Public Library in August, along with the Exeter UFO Festival and the Greater New England UFO Conference. Uh, at some point this fall, too, there will be a release party for my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God, which will be published in hardcover this fall by Schiffer Books, and we'll keep you posted on that as details develop
2: already and also in the works uh, is a third book that we're writing together and this one will be on the subject of UFOs beyond the assumptions you can check out our show website behindtheparanormal.com where you can find uh out more about the show our uh, many cases over the years our public appearances and uh, you'll find over free over 800 free recorded shows from our 10 plus years on the air including our four and a half year run on CBS radio
1: along with special shows
2: and Podcasts,
1: And there are also links on the BehindTheParanormal.com to several charities Ben and I have adopted. That includes USA Cares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, youth mentoring connection in los angeles doing great stuff out there for at risk youth uh and the crohn's and colitis foundation of america and and we emphasize that w- we know the people who run these particular charities we check them out very carefully and you can be sure that uh any donations you make will be well spent and, and spent in the right ways to help the people uh, the organization claims to to be uh, to be helping uh particularly help for Haiti's orphans that that's run by folks right here in rhode island whom i know and uh the uh the country suffered terribly in the, the um uh, earthquake of 2010, so that, that's how that started. So, Ben, what do we got on the front burner for next week? So, next week we have, uh, on
2: February 24th, here on WOLN, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM, we'll have UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Disinformation, and Government Cover-Up with Dr.
1: Irina Scott. Well, that sounds cheerful. I'll leave you this afternoon with a thought from the great 13th century Persian philosopher and, and theologian Rumi. All I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator. For all I have not seen, I'm Paul Eno.
2: And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you behind the paranormal.
0: Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.